This is 112VK coming to you from Brick House in downtown Brooklyn. On the show today, Bed-Stuy's Restoration Corporation celebrates 50 years, a film about enhancing education in Bushwick, and Brooklyn-based singer-songwriter Fusilier. Hi, I'm Ashley Ford. Let's get right into it. It seems like our national political news gets stranger and stranger every day. I would say shocking, but for a lot of us, the news isn't particularly shocking. It's just strange. For example, I'm not shocked that a politician is being accused of molestation or sexual misconduct by five women. No, I am no longer shocked by people in positions of power abusing that power to take advantage of traditionally marginalized groups like women or children. It's sad and it's wrong, but shocking? Not really. However, the number of people who are openly and vehemently defending Roy Moore after these allegations, that's a little shocking. So what do we do about it? I can't say I have an answer. However, I can say that I have no interest in living in a world where accusations of molestation are brazenly dismissed in order to promote a political agenda, any political agenda. And after everything, I'm still willing to bet that the majority of Americans agree with me, at least the ones in Brooklyn. On the show today, we've got Bed-Stuy's Restoration Corporation, which just celebrated 50 years, a film about education, immigration, and Bushwick. And then Fusilier, Brooklyn-based singer-songwriter who might perform a little music for us. But first, these notes. The Bonn climate talks continue in Germany, and countries, with the notable exception of the U.S., are trying to figure out how to meet the goals for reductions in carbon emissions set forth by the Paris Accords. Closer to home, there's also been some activity. A coalition of groups, including 350BK, we had them on the show a couple of weeks back, joined in protest of, gov of Governor Cuomo, my bad, self-proclaimed climate leader, for not doing enough to fight climate change and its impacts in the state. Some of the signs at the rally held outside of the governor's New York City office read, Cuomo, walk the talk, and don't be a fossil fool. New York State has banned fracking, the protesters note, but we are still crisscrossed by oil and gas pipelines. The organizers' hope is to make New York fossil fool free. We reported yesterday about the vandalization of a mosque in Sunset Park and how it had shaken the community, though at the time, the motivation for the attack was unclear. But now there seems to be a pattern. Surveillance footage appears to show the same hammer-wielding knucklehead, and that's going easy on him, attacking another mosque nearby on the same night. Borough President Eric Adams spoke on Monday about the attacks, saying they were abhorrent and no hammer will shatter our spirit. As with all of the stories we cover, we'll keep you updated. Next, the Restoration Corporation CEO Colvin Granham on community resiliency in Bed-Stuy in an age of rapid change. We tend to take communities for granted. Their existence, their cohesion, their survival, but communities take work to build and sustain. They don't just thrive without care, attention, and investment. And I don't only mean of the monetary variety. Few people know more about this than Colvin Granham, who served as head of the Restoration Corporation, the nation's oldest community development organization for nearly 17 of its 50 years. Mr. Granham, thanks for coming on 112BK. Glad to be here, thank you. Thank you. Um, one of the first things I wanted to ask really quickly, um, because I think people see the two words community development together a lot, and that can mean a lot of different things, but what does it mean for you? 
Oh, that's a really good question. You're not asking me a question of what does it mean for restoration. You're asking what it means for me. Or restoration, <laughs> really. You can decide They're how to answer. Kind of different things, yeah. in a way. Um, I think for me, it has a lot to do with spiritual wholeness and unity, um, a sense of a place that nurtures growth um, of the individuals, of households, of businesses, and institutions, mm -hmm. but where there is some alignment around the importance of nurturing growth. Mm -hmm. So that's what it means for me as an individual, and for me the spiritual component of it is very important. Right. Um, for restoration, I think we articulate it differently. Yeah. Um, less emphasis on the spiritual part, mm -hmm. more emphasis on the place, that is the external environment. What is the housing like? What is the what, what are the businesses like? Um, what is education like? And trying to affect those institutions mm -hmm. so that they support people as they pursue their dreams and aspirations. How's that going? Well, um, it's a big job, it and is. it's a changing environment. And I would say. You know, it's hard to give yourself a report card. I think we feel good about the work that we do, and we have affected the lives of tens of thousands of people in a very positive way, um, and on a daily basis, because we offer facilities mm -hmm. like Restoration Plaza, where people come to do their shopping, to do their banking, right. to see a play, to get educated at the College of New Rochelle, to visit other nonprofits who are providing essential services. So every day there's a stream of thousands and thousands of people coming into Restoration Plaza uh, and who use it as their home for very essential things that build community. Um, and then there's the sort of long arc of history where, you know, we're confident that we've affected, you know, I don't want to say millions, but hundreds of thousands of people over the last right. 50 years from anything from helping them buy a home to developing low-income housing um, to placing people in jobs, and, and most recently we've really emphasized our focus on financial coaching and counseling, mm -hmm. and we're even going more deeply in saying that we want to be a leader in the effort to close the wealth gap, especially the racial wealth gap. Mm. So how do you do that? Um, so helping people fix their credit scores, helping people save, helping people build careers, those are all things that are intended to help build income and hopefully focus people on the importance of gathering assets, being really mm -hmm. intentional about saving. Uh, what we know is that modest amounts of savings make a huge difference in the lives of people. Right. So for want of $500, many of the families who are low and moderate income across this country, not just in Bedford-Stuyvesant, Mm -hmm. go into financial tailspin, right. right? Because somebody breaks out the window in the back of your car, or that happens and the police give you a $150 ticket and you don't mm -hmm. have the savings, so you have to go do something that's um, like borrow from somebody who wants to charge you, who will charge you usurious rates. And, and, and you, you can't, it's hard for families to recover yeah. from that. Even kids, even people, they get, their sons or daughters get locked up. Right. And what happens? You don't have the money for bail or bond, but you got to go get it. It's your kid. Right. So, well, on the flip side, we know that 
children who have just $500 in a college savings account have three more, this is low and moderate income children, are three times more likely to go to college wow. and graduate college from college than low and moderate income children who don't have the $500. So wow. this because they become college bound mm -hmm. in their minds. Just in the idea, just in the fact that there's already been something set up, there's already been a conversation, there's the expectation, expectation has been set. Right. So speaking of kids specifically, yeah. how have you watched the neighborhood change and the youth change in the neighborhood over the past 15 years? Regardless of change, this is mm -hmm. an important thing, regardless of what's changing, there are a lot of things that remain the same. What's remaining the same? So overall, educational attainment levels are still well below um, the borough-wide average in places like Bed-Stuy and Brownsville and Crown Heights. Mm -hmm. um, the schools are not performing at the same level as, they're not performing at a competent level, right? They're not right. producing college-ready students, right? So those kinds of things haven't changed. The number of children who you would consider disconnected, mm -hmm. meaning that they're not in school and they're not working, that number is disproportionately higher in places like Bedford-Stuyvesant, in Brownsville, East New York. Are you changing that? Are you working to change that? Yeah, we are, but here's the, here's the thing. And we have solid programs that are working on that, mm -hmm. but to change it, you have to operate at a scale. Right? right, that is very, very significant. And um, I don't think that we can say that we operate at that scale, right? So there are 150,000 right. residents in Bed-Stuy. Mm -hmm. When you add Bed-Stuy to Brownsville, so we do our part and we aspire to community level change because we think that community level change is what's meaningful. But, and the level that we work at, the, the program level, where we serve 200 kids or 1,000 kids, that's mm -hmm. meaningful. That's but absolutely it meaningful. Yeah, yeah, but it doesn't drive, you know, the, the, the scale of change right. that we need. So speaking of change, because this is obviously you guys' you know, 50 years, what's your vision for the next 50 years? Do you have one? I think it's a little bit presumptuous for me to have a, <laughs> a vision. I mean, I tell you what I'd like to see and what right. I'd like to have restoration contribute to. With respect to housing stability in particular, mm -hmm. I mean, I think displacement in some ways is a function of the fact that we don't have enough assets to control where we live. Right. Right? Absolutely. So to the extent that we don't have enough assets to control where we live, we're subject to having people push us out. Right. So home ownership is a big deal. Mm -hmm. And what we want to do, we've been advocating for with some good results, is to have the public sector get behind a new home ownership program mm -hmm. for low and moderate income people, but in particular moderate income people. Because when we think about changing communities, we often focus on the low income, and we should. But people who are making $60,000, households who have um, income of $100,000, they're also adversely affected. Right. Because the current rents are so high. They are. That a household at $100,000, they can't afford $3,000 a month for rent. Right. Or $2,500. $2, the other thing that's happening in communities like Bedford Stuyvesant, which I think is interesting, is that there's been a reduction in the number of families, especially low and moderate income families with children. Right. Oftentimes because they're not just competing against affluent families for housing, but they're also competing against young professionals yes. who are teaming up. So you might have 
some freshly minted college graduates, each of whom can afford $800 a month. You put that right. together, and there are four of them, and it's $3,200 that they're renting an apartment for. That used right. to be, you know, $1,200. And this is obviously affecting the families yeah, who live there and pushing people out. Well, thank you so much for being here today and for having this conversation with us. I look forward to seeing what you guys do next and how you continue to help the community. Well, thank you very much. Next up, a touching film about touching the lives of vulnerable youth in Bushwick. Don't go away. Be brave. Say something that takes some courage to say. Something that comes from your heart. This place gives you an opportunity to say things that really matter. New York City's public schools get some pretty low marks when it comes to fostering creativity and independent thinking, so the critics say. They're also tremendously segregated and famously lacking in resources. They most often focus on testing because that's the easiest, quickest, laziest way to measure success. Underserved communities, i.e. minorities and immigrants, are the ones who most often feel the brunt of this inertia. This was the animating principle for Stephen Huff, who opened a supplemental educational facility in Bushwick catering to vulnerable youth. And this school is the subject of a new doc called Still Waters, which had its world premiere at Doc NYC last weekend. We have the director here to talk about it. Peter Gordon, welcome to 112 BK. Thank you. So please tell me, we were just discussing a little bit about mm. the fact that you're from England, mm. and yet you just spent several months making mm. this film about this school in Bushwick, New York. How does that happen? Well, it's, inter it's an interesting story. I mean, I, um, and it's a story that's kind of six years long because mm -hmm. I first um, read about this school six years ago in an in a English newspaper. And it was a piece written by Peter Carey, who's a you know, famous author who lives in New York. And it's called My Hero. And his hero was Stephen Huff, yeah. who had just opened this one-room school. And coincidentally, I had been to Bushwick um, the year before doing some work. So the name jumped out. And the idea for the school, the mm -hmm. Stephen's idea, his kind of passion for education, his kind of, kind of almost revolutionary feeling of what kids could do creatively. Mm -hmm. I thought, wow, this is really interesting. So we established an email kind of relationship. And in the end, I thought, I've just got to come and, and see it. So I came out, right. went away, tried to find some money, found some money, came back. And then we really filmed through a year, 2015, in, in wow. blocks, sort of a winter block, summer block, and another winter block. And um, it was absolutely fascinating for me because Stephen is such an intriguing guy. He's an yeah. a wonderful teacher. Tell the me kids, about Stephen. Well, he's a, a Yale a Yale grad, drama grad. Um, he, uh, I, th I reckon, could have had a fantastic career in the theatre, um, but he chose to do what he felt was most useful, which was teach. And he he taught in high school in Bushwick at a time when Bushwick was a very tough area. And um, he found himself um, really unable to break through this whole testing mm -hmm. uh, thing. And he felt the kids were not getting what they should be getting out of education. In fact, right. the reverse. Mm -hmm. um, and then as you'll discover in the film, you know, Stephen ha uh, has a, a bi is bipolar. Mm -hmm. so, he, he finished uh, t teaching, couldn't do it, 
and in the end decided that what would be good for him and for kids would be to teach a small group of kids in the way that he felt right. he could. And it's kind of like, a, it's an after-school school, really. <clears throat> they go there from, they go to school, and then they go there in the afternoon and evening, and it is astonishing, the way that you get kids from five to 16 all, all together, in all in one room. It's a bit like an old-fashioned village school. Yeah. That's what he calls it. It's an old-fashioned village school, but they do amazing work, and they're doing a phenomenal project at the moment, which I wish I was filming. It's a sort of, don uh, they, they've written, uh, in their own words, in Spanish and English, uh, Don, the Don Quixote story, and wow. they're going to go touring in, in various um, people's homes, offices, oh. all that kind of stuff. It's, it's, it's fantastic, and I think what it does is unlock so much creativity that every child has. Yeah. There's no, there's no, um, you don't have to have a particular academic standard to get mm -hmm. there. There's not, you don't pay money, it's free. And I think his, his philosophy is that every kid has something to offer. And deserves to be listened to. And deserves to be listened to. What's the takeaway from this film? What do you want audience to leave knowing or feeling? I, want, I would really like them, I can only echo Stephen's words in the film, really, towards the end of the film, that where he says um, that this school is um, for them mm -hmm. and they are for the school, really. I mean, and what's, what Stephen thinks is, is you know, the, there's a debate going on in, in the United States mm -hmm. about who belongs and how do, how do, how do we belong. Yes. Um, and my, I really want people to understand that um, kids who come, families who come here, they're not coming. They're not coming to a country. It's the same in in England. It's the same in European countries. They're not coming because they want just an easy life. They're coming because they want to build a future for themselves. Mm -hmm. They want to build a future for their kids. They want to give their kids better opportunity. And I yes. think um, so. I see it as being wholly positive. Mm -hmm. And what was interesting about filming through 2015 was that with the, with the families were really worried because they were being evicted. Some were being evicted, landlords putting up the rent, communities beginning to disappear. And then, you know, from the summer onwards, this kind of anti-Latino um, rhetoric coming from, you know, the Trump campaign, yeah. it... it it, I really felt the atmosphere change within that room. Mm -hmm. There was there's a nervousness about what what is the future for us? What wow. is the future? You know, who are we? Where do we belong? So they're feeling it. I think so. And they're picking up from their from their families. You know, the, absolutely. Yeah. That's where you always get yeah, it is yeah. from home. Yeah. Where can people see this film? Where is it going to be screened? Well, I'm hoping it's very early days. We've had mm -hmm. our premiere here. I'm I'm now going to interest. Um, distributors. Um, I would love it to be shown on, you know, sort of um, VOD. I'd love it to be shown on something like, I don't know, Amazon or Netflix or mm -hmm. something. But, you know, um, and I'm hoping it can be made available to schools and universities because I think it's, a, it's actually an interesting film to watch if you're in education. Absolutely. I think it's interesting if you're a parent, actually, too. So I really want to try and get it seen in as many places as possible on, you know, through TV. Um, view on right. demand, that kind of thing. 
Well, thank you so much for being here and for telling us about it. I think that our audience is going to love it if they get the chance to go see it. They can see it, it tomorrow. Tomorrow where? They can see it. They can see it at the IFC Cinema in New York. It, there's a screening in the morning at 10.15. So tomorrow being Wednesday, Wednesday, they can go see it. Yeah. Fantastic. Okay. Thanks for letting us okay. know, and thank you for being here, Peter. Thank you for having me. Coming up, the provocative Brooklyn-based singer-songwriter, Fusilier. <laughs> He's a Brooklyn-based musician who's got a show coming up this week at National Sawdust as part of the Revolution Volume 21 program, featuring artists from Brooklyn and Harlem. He's here to talk to us about his latest inspirations. Fusilier, welcome to 112 BK. You said that so well. Thank you. Did for I say Yeah, that well? was 100%. Well, let me admit that I've been practicing. <laughs> I did not want to get on here and embarrass myself. <laughs> Or you, but mostly myself. <laughs> oh, I've gotten it butchered so many times, it's fine. Just yeah. growing up, I've had people give up and just say Fisher. Just say Fisher? Fisher. Okay, not Fusilier at no, all. Just No, just just like, eh, you know who you are. Do you have, okay, here's what I did initially. Tried to be really fancy, and I went, <laughs> Fusilier. <laughs> that was my first inclination. That would have been nice. I grew up in Atlanta, though. There was no to be <laughs> fancy. It was just like, foot, foot. They would just go foot, 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 and they would, and I would, they would expect me to know. I was like, oh, that must be me. I am here. Well, talk to me a little bit about why you're here today. You have this new music out. You have this new music video. Yes. Tell me about it. Um, music video for Make You. Yes. Um, super exciting. I actually sort of produced and directed it myself, Listen. which was very nerve-wracking. Um, but it, it was really, really great, and it came out exactly how I wanted to it come out as like a split personality video. Yeah. It was sort of uh, at, on one hand exploring aspects of myself, my own personality and my own influences, but also mm -hmm. sort of commenting on sort of like how I see, you know, the, the, the country, I don't want to say the world, but certainly like yeah. the, the, the environment around me, so. I love um, that. Yeah. You're also very clearly so inspired and inspiring visually. Right, like you have like this really great style, and your music videos so nice. always have just like a really, really strong visual element. There's no, you know, like it's it seems so intentional, which makes me think that you're seeing things out in the world that you're going, okay, that's the concept, that's the video. What's inspiring you visually? Well, what's inspiring me, me visually? You know what I've, I was inspired for um, for the Make You video and the, the the two covers for the two singles that are out mm -hmm. was really sort of uh, like Greco-Roman architecture, really, but also like futurism at the same time. So mm -hmm. I um, did this sort of like sort of shiny instead of uh, it being a marble statue, it would be sort of like fashion metal, right? And then I sort of uh, split that for the Make You video, mm -hmm. and I you know and, and said like what like you know what are these what do these colors mean and and, and and so I was sort of trying to explore uh, id, ego, and superego uh, in that video, and just saying like the the covers that everyone has seen is sort of just like you know me, everything, everything combined, everything as one, and right. yeah. Well, when you're talking about what you see in the world around you, like, are you talking about you know political expression? Are you talking about artistic expression? Like, what are the things around you that are inspiring you to make the music you make? Oh man, I 
It, it definitely is political information. Yeah. Um, you know, you see these like GQ cover, I mean, GQ yes. with Ka Colin Kaepernick. I mean, I feel like we're sort of inspired by the same thing, the sort of like pre-Reagan idea of what it, of what it, you know, means means to be black or just what it means to be a person, and then sort yes. of uh, your own identity. I, I think there was sort of a impulse or an instinct, uh, you know, from the '80s on to sort of say that, oh, like we were all one. And don't get me wrong, like you know, I. I love everyone, yeah. But we're but we're all different. We all have different histories. We all have different mm -hmm. baggage, and we it's you know we should talk about it. That that's yeah. all. You know we should deal with it instead of saying it's like oh like you know we're we're all the same. Yeah, I, like, I think that's where I grew up with that. Like it was like Captain right. Planet, and it was like, all this stuff. It's like, <laughs> oh, like, everything's fine for everyone now, right. and things were better for most people. But mm -hmm. you know at the same time, like you, you didn't know the person next to you had enough to eat. Right. But we're like everything's fine for everyone now. You know, but we're yes. just, just going to talk about that. So, do you feel like your work is a direct challenge to that, to that idea? It's that a direct like, challenge. Oh. Um, it's to the, I suppose, expectations that we're sort yeah. of we were indoctrinated with these expectations that had nothing to do with reality. Right. Um, and I think it, it's a, ultimately a disservice to to all of us because mm -hmm. then we sort of just uh, keep burying these layers of sort of insecurity or these layers of doubt without mm -hmm. anyone ever talking. To, 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 to us about it or, you know, we just pretend like these things didn't exist or that these dynamics didn't exist, and, you know, instead of addressing them head on, which is what I finally feel like people are trying to do. Right. So how do you feel like your music, your work, your style, all of that, how do you feel like you're challenging it? <clears throat> there are a lot of things I'm doing. I mean, I, I feel like mostly I'm just being honest Mm -hmm. Not only about who I am, but what my influences are. Right. Um, whereas I think that there was sort of, and I, there still is, sort of mm -hmm. pressure to define yourself, uh, to put yourself in a box and say, yes. like, this is what my music sounds like. Mm -hmm. And I feel like to say, where it's a little bit of this, a little bit of this, a little bit of this. But, you know, and it'd be like, but you know, um, when I get on stage, I'm thinking about Beyonce and Tina Turner. Like, I'm not thinking about, I'm supposed to say I'm thinking about James Brown. Or I'm thinking about Prince, you know, but I'm like, no. Have you, you seen Tina Turner with those background singers? That's yes. What, that's what I want to be. Yes. You know, and and that's not saying that I that I, you know, want to be a, a woman. I'm just saying that like there are feminine aspects to yes. to to me, and I think there's a lot of strength that comes from sort of acknowledging that. Right. Uh, so yeah. Well, it's working for you to Thanks. play with those ideas and those labels and that spectrum of presentation and expression and all of it. It's really working. Thanks. So tell me about your next show. I'm um, playing at National Sawdust this Saturday, mm -hmm. the 18th, uh, as part of the Revolution series Yes. that I'm uh, really excited about. I love National Sawdust. It's a beautiful venue. Mm -hmm. um, I'm playing by myself. I think a lot of my art sort of about uh, like dealing with yourself and loving yourself. So I'm actually just gonna play a solo show for 30 minutes. Oh my goodness. It's, it's just me sort of trying to project for 30 minutes and just wow. trying to be secure and just. And that's in Williamsburg National it is. Sawdust? in okay. Williamsburg, yeah. Great. North Williamsburg, prime Williamsburg nowadays. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> so thank you so much. You're gonna perform for us though, I right? Am. All I right, am. so really quickly, I'm gonna say this, but we're gonna have you All perform right. in just All a right. minute, cool? Okay, cool. cool. 
We'll be back next time with members of Brooklyn's Uzbek community to talk about how they've been affected by their fellow nationals' links to ISIS. Akeem Browder, who did almost as well as Sal Albanese and better than Bo Deedle in last week's mayoral race, and Brooklyn's Podcast Fest. And now, Fusilier is going to play us out. See you tomorrow. I hold you just to make day or to shield you from what I can say the way I feel locked down, locked down, falling fast, locked down, locked down. you see me to we make summer or have stone spray look hard that me that me is in love that me that me that I'm not alone I'm BK is hosted by me, Ashley Ford, and is written and produced by Ross Tuttle, also produced by Fred Brown, Shireen Barhi, Emily Bogosian, Naim Van. Our show is edited by Clinton Filson Jr. and Kyrell Palmer, and is recorded by our studio technical director, Eric Hockasog. Our executive producers are Aziz Aisham, Jonathan Leaf, and Sasha Mathias, and our theme music is composed by Bradley Parker.